0: Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell, the author of the novel, The Good Lieutenant.
1: And I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Sugi, the author of the forthcoming novel, Brotherless Night.
0: And today we are both completely full of shit. Nobody finds this identity kind swab. Of fun. I, <laughs> I was about to be like, can you pull it off? Can you do it? Um, but nobody, nobody <laughs> finds this convincing, I'm sure.
1: Do you remember how I used to have to practice to say your name? I feel like I'm so much better at it. When we first, the first time we recorded this, you were like, no, no. (laughs) You were like, don't go easy on me. I was like, don't worry. I won't. Don't worry. Uh, All right. For the sake of argument, let's say I am probably actually Whitney, even though I've never had one of those blue check marks on Twitter that says that I am, unlike you. It's true. I am verifiably Sugi.
0: Um, because I have a check mark next to my name on Twitter.
1: Okay, and just to sort of set the stage for the great unwashed who do not have check marks next to their name and may not follow them as obsessively as we do in the media. These are check marks that are, you can you apply for them that sort of, and, and it used to be at Twitter, you you know, you had to show that you were a public persona. I don't know how they did it, but there were ways to apply. I never did apply, which is why I don't have one. I think that I would have probably gotten one in my secret dreams if I applied. Um, And maybe I will someday. Um, But then Elon Musk came along and said, everyone who is going to get verified has to pay $8. And then you get a blue check. And then that started happening. And it wasn't clear whether people who already had blue checks would have to pay or not. But what did happen was that a bunch of fake accounts got verified that weren't really who they said they were, including like the Chiquita Banana account, which we'll talk about later. And I think somebody verified Jesus. And then they took that service down and that's been shut down. And so now we're waiting to see what will happen next. So Sugi, does having a blue check mark not feel as cool as it used to? I don't right. know, know that it ever say?
0: felt that cool.
1: I <laughs> was not mm-hmm. what I was going for, but now I sort of wish. My I'd... students got really mad at me for not having one. They were like, you would seem so much more professional if you had a blue check mark like Sugi.
0: <laughs> what? I mean, I'm just waiting for, I, I, every day I'm like, is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? When is it going? Um, Because the future of Twitter is in question. And we might have to change the tagline of our show, which I didn't even think about. You know, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature, what are we gonna say? Oh my god, I did forget
1: about that. What are we gonna
0: say next week? Every issue in your Mastodon (laughs) feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature? I don't know where we go from here. I don't know.
1: But we are gonna be discussing whether we're talking about Twitter today. You know, um, What's the future of social media as a legitimate public square for where people can be identified and actual facts can be exchanged? Can Twitter be a public square when it is owned and run by a seemingly autocratic, publicity-hungry, rich guy named Elon Musk? What will happen to the company's famous blue checks used to verify the identity of journalists and or prominent public figures? And we're going to talk about Identity Verification Online Generally, and what it means to write anonymously. And we have the absolute best
0: guest with us to talk about this.
1: We have the actual guest, despite the fact that after all of this, you almost booked an imposter on the show. I thought we weren't going to talk about this. Oh, we are going to talk about this, but we're going to wait until a little later in the show.
0: Well, today we're thrilled to have fiction writer Dan Sean with us. The characters in Dan's most recent book, Sleepwalk, take on the question of identity and its verification in sharp and funny ways. And he's the author of a recent Atlantic essay, The Story of My Imposters," um, which I suspect many of our listeners have already read. He's also the author of six previous books, including Ill Will, a national bestseller named one of the 10 best books of 2017 by Publishers Weekly. Other books include the short story collection Stay Awake, which was a finalist for the Story Prize. The national bestseller, Await Your Reply, and Among the Missing, a finalist for the National Book Award. He has been a finalist for the National Magazine Award in Fiction, and he was the recipient of an Academy Award in Literature from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Dan lives in Cleveland. Dan, welcome to the
1: show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Thanks for being here. Um, so as we all know, Elon Musk recently purchased Twitter for $44 billion, much, much more than he really probably would have needed to pay for it if he had been smarter about it. And Twitter, which was once a public company with shareholders and regulated financial statements, is now a private company with no such shareholders and regulated financial statements and no obligation to disclose those things. Uh, How does this change what Twitter is?
2: Well, I don't think we know yet. Um, I mean, so far we've seen, uh, you know, that now that it's a private company it is ruled by uh, an overlord and we are sort of subject to his various whims um i mean he started out saying comedy is now uh, allowed on twitter and then when people started making fun of him he s- sort of backtracked on that um because <laughs> <laughs> did uh, he also
1: then like banned parody accounts of himself and sort of seemed to be he's he is he has he is on a rampage since he bought this thing. Every day something crazy happens.
2: Well, yeah, I mean I mean I guess he's the you know he's the latest stable genius um who's <laughs> out there uh just trying whatever suits his whim. Um and you know I guess that's how we how we live now. <laughs> I
0: and mean, so on November 6th, we're taping this on November 11th, and um, which is a Friday, and the show is going to come out next Thursday, and who knows what on earth will have happened by then. But about five days ago, he tweeted, Twitter needs to become by far the most accurate source of information about the world. That's our mission. Is this possible? And is it possible for him? And is it even desirable?
2: Um, I mean, I guess the question is what what accuracy means um and that's become increasingly a problem in the you know we're, we're not just divided by political beliefs we're divided by actual beliefs about the world um and uh that doesn't seem to be changing that seems to be getting worse um so the question is, who's, who, who is the arbiter of accurate?
0: And he was sort of debating this. Like, I saw an exchange between him and someone where he said, um, that's what's wrong with you. You think because you're a journalist, you're the only source of information. And the person actually wasn't a journalist. Um, right. And so it seems like he, in his mind, an interiority I cannot really comprehend at all. Uh, he thinks that he's democratizing the verification of information,
2: in some way? right? But at the same time, he's you know he is one of the people who's spreading disinformation. I mean, the the Paul Pelosi thing, or you know, previously his um, attack on that on that Thai guy who he said was a pedophile with really no evidence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's he's not the best person to make these decisions, um, and really, really needs a, a, a board of directors who could. You know, say you know what, Elon, stand in the corner for a while. Um, but I don't think there I mean, is that such happens, a person.
1: That happens sometimes, not as much. But with Tesla, he does. I mean, it's, that is still a public company, and he does still have you know obligations to shareholders and things like that. And so, this is sort of really changing that. I just want to expand. Like the, you mentioned, the Paul Pelosi thing. We talked about that in our last episode. That was a he. He retweeted a false story about Paul Pelosi that came from a very disreputable publication. Um, and you know if the head of the of the entire Twitter is like that what is even the right word like he is just uncareful he doesn't really care what he's doing he, I and mean, he also has no training as a journalist and and seems to not understand that what rules journalists use to make things factual like double verification all there, I mean there are real things that journalists do to try to be accurate
2: yeah it, it does. Give one pause about uh, how things are going to go with his Mars colony. <laughs> just a little
0: bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, also just the notion that like um, that truth and monetary value are linked, like he seems unable to Right. I mean, I feel like for journalists, there's you start. It's like sort of the earliest bit of your training that this is not the way that this is. These things are not aligned. Um and you might follow the money to find the truth, but that doesn't it's that's not this version. Um he seems to think that you can kind of um like the truth is something that can be
2: bought and sold.
0: And Well,
2: I mean history tells us that's kinda true. <laughs> that's depressing.
1: I mean he's not yeah. it's not unlike what William Randolph Hearst or somebody like that, right? I mean that who who sure. was a right. know, incredibly we had these we had these very wealthy owners of newspapers who ran whatever in the hell they wanted in their newspapers.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: That's not true. But that's not the same as being the most accurate source of information about the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Um it's a um I mean I think that you know the the struggle uh all along even when you know Jack Dorsey was running it is has been, you know, what is you know dangerous uh what is you know the the twitter equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater um and you know to what extent can we restrict people from saying uh you know racist or homophobic or um just you know misinformed things and you know i mean the way the Paul Pelosi story spread uh, is a good example of that. I mean, um, and I think every day uh, the old Twitter was struggling to find a balance. Um, And, you know, people were unhappy that, uh, you know, certain very vocal uh, politicians got banned for life from uh, that, that platform. Uh, but, you know, there were, there were, I think, good reasons for that to happen. Um, I mean, mean, reasons of, of, of actual sort of, um, you know, people's sense of security and, I mean, national security.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's where I think some of, Elon Musk's desire to buy Twitter was in part, I, it felt like he wanted to do it because he felt like Twitter had been suppressing those exact voices or voices that in his mind were like maybe more right leaning or, or uh, independent. Um, but really, what we're talking about, you know, the thing that people started getting mad about is getting banned for lying about COVID and for lying about, uh, COVID. Um, for lying about the happened. election. And for lying about the election, right? And that really is the key issue here and that is somehow getting subsumed in 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 Elon Musk like I want this to be a freer place really I want is he really what's well, he, he complaining about you know
2: he got it okay. he I mean he got it um I mean he has he has like a fake chiquita banana uh uh account tweeting that they're you know that they have overthrown the government of Brazil um and the real chiquita banana is like no we we didn't actually um and you know i think that advertisers are going are gonna to be fleeing in droves um I mean, because if they can't if they can't protect their brand um there's no reason for them to be on twitter there's no reason for them to do anything except sue
0: one of the stories i just saw was about advertisers who are already fleeing twitter and then he's trying to have a meeting with them. Maybe he's already had it between the time I read that story and now about he was threatening to publicly name and shame those companies as though the people who are kind of on his side will then boycott those advertisers for right. um, for not hanging in there with this. And and I mean, it's interesting because we're, we're, we're talking about freedom of speech and security of body and then also something else. And, and all of this exists in this like liminal space where you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater is like a great way to think about it. Like, what is it, how do we just basically don't have a way to talk about that? Like, we don't have good language for it. Um, and we don't have rules. And, you know, we have all this public communication infrastructure, like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok that are not, of course, public utilities. And then there are some cities where there are things like like broadband access is going to be a, public, a publicly provided resource. Um, you know, how do we think about... Social media is all stuff that started in with with startups or sort of in private hands, um, even if there were companies that eventually went public. Or so how do we think about this stuff in relation to the sorts of things that are publicly provided? If this is a public square, um, why should Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg be owning that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Well, I mean, it's clearly, I mean, it's it's a business. It's not a public square. Um, and the... the, the Public square doesn't exactly exist um I mean there's nothing any m- that's that's sort of like Usenet was where everybody's sort of on their share i mean I guess there is but it's i mean it's not uh a place like Twitter where you know huge numbers of people gather i mean I guess a lot of people are moving to Mastodon, which is a you know is a um a collective um where you you know join a particular interest group um and then you know um you're somewhat limited in the number of people you can you can you know listen to i mean i think that was one of the things about twitter is that you would discover you know new people and you would also discover uh you know new ideas um, and, and, you know, I mean, sometimes you, you, you would not like those ideas and you could block them. Um, but it, there, there was a sense that you could, that you could find just about anything on Twitter. Whereas I think with Mastodon, at least right now, um, you have to know what you're looking for when you go there.
0: Okay. So it's,
2: there, so there's something, I think that, that it's a, it's just a very different experience.
0: I, um, yeah, I've been sort of toggling between... Um, TweetDeck and uh, where I run multiple accounts and, and Mastodon, which I just signed up for. Uh, which, which Where was... are you
2: on Mastodon? Are you on social?
0: I, God, I don't even remember because I signed up for one and then I couldn't verify myself because I couldn't get the email. The email just <laughs> never came. And then I deleted that account and then I signed up on a different server. And I think I'm on Mastodon.online. Um, I'll have to... I mean, I just have so many Mastodon emails in my inbox about that sort of all came after the fact. So, almost right. in the same way that we think about, you know, oh, if this goes public, it won't work as well. I was, and I mean, not that Mastodon is public, but it's sort of um, there are all these different servers. And, I've, and um, to figure out where you're going, you know, and the, the list of available servers that even have space. I had uh, no idea things. what you
1: were talking about right now. I know the mask on but I don't understand this. Server I, maybe it's, thing. it's time to that? go back to
2: um, you know, like Tumblr or um, or even MySpace, um, and just just bring, my, bring MySpace back. Um, I loved MySpace.
0: I was not on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much chaos for me. I couldn't. I, I wanna... couldn't cope with MySpace.
1: I do want to tease out this public-private thing because I once wrote an article for Harper's about when Google was building a fiber optic network here in Kansas City, and um, they did a terrible job and they repeated several like racist things that the real estate developers had been, had done in Kansas City You know, by the way that they laid out their fiber hoods and sort of leveraged their ability to give fiber to certain neighborhoods and, and not to others. So my argument was that you should have public utilities Uh, These should be what's building these public broadband, you know, networks, just like you have a public utility that runs your water or runs your your power, because those are so important. We don't trust them to private companies. Right. Um, And and a public utility has a board and it has political responsibility. And, you know, it's responsible to voters in a certain way that a private company never is. But with Twitter uh, and social media, it's slightly different. I mean, we for a long time said, I remember everyone saying when Trump was getting booted off the uh, off, off Twitter. Well, it's a private company. It's not about free speech. They're allowed to do that. So there are some advantages to having a social media company be private because they can set standards that the government can't actually set. I think is that true? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it is. On, yeah. On the other hand, you know, you are giving up a tremendous amount of power uh, in terms of communication to an uh, uh, an agency that you or, or a company in, in the case of Twitter that you now have absolutely no control over. I mean the FTC does regulate Twitter some. I mean they can they can make sure that they t- say t- are honest about what they're doing with user data for instance. Right. Um, I mean I
2: I, th- I think that's true but you have to keep in mind also I mean this is something that I don't think Musk thought about very very carefully which is that it's an international company and different countries have different Rules about speech. Not all of them have the have the same. I mean, Germany's much stricter about about what kind of what kind of speech can is is allowed. For example, um, and you know that's something that you know he's got m- um, millions and millions of users outside of the uh, outside of the United States, um, and he has to deal with those with those governments as well.
0: And when you sign up for a Mastodon server. Um, and I, by the way, cannot log into Mastodon cause I can't figure out any, I can't figure out where I am, but, um, <laughs> which is perfect. It's just perfect. Um, but you have to sign an agreement for the Mastodon server you choose. And one of the things that it, you have to agree to is I, I agree not to post speech that is illegal in, and then it says whichever territories that particular server. So I know that I signed up for a server where I cannot post speech that is illegal in the UK or Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever I find myself again, I'll, I'll follow those rules, right? And um, so, yeah, like this, all of these, he's not prepared for something so decentralized. And yet at the same time, um, you know, I've heard on Twitter, actually, a number of people complaining about hateful speech on Ashton. Um, right. So, and then other people complaining that all election content is flagged with a content warning so even there like there's sort of it's just an it's like an adjacent debate
2: right right and i think i mean the, i think i think the the other debate that is is sort of emerging is um this question of of to of of, of verification and to what extent we can control our um, image or our brand online i mean how much of that i mean you know we have bo- we have uh, you know, some people have bodily autonomy, um, and uh, you know you you can't you have you have you know certain things that you that you have control over. You have control over your property, but you don't necessarily have. I mean, your identity, your your online self, is not your property in the same way. Does that yeah, make I mean, sense? It,
1: yeah, of course. And the thing that's been hard that, that is, I mean, the other thing that we haven't. Yet mentioned that, in addition to the election denying and the and the false COVID information, is the way that people of color or people from the LGBT community get attacked and called tremendously awful slurs when online. If if in fact, you know the the company in question is not able to monitor and control content, And right. You know, hate speech has gone up on Twitter ever since Elon bought it, because um, there's fewer people. Paying attention to what's being said there, I, I think, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, so... Yeah, like... Oh, go ahead, Sugi.
0: Sorry, I just wanted to say that, of course, Twitter has been doing layoffs and then also calling back some of the people that they laid off. And some of the people who were laid off were people who were in, involved in some of the most key functions of of Twitter, some of the ones that you were talking about with.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is, this is uh, November 11th, and... Uh, I have no idea what things will be like in one week when when people hear us talking.
1: (laughs) I mean, today Elon called Senator Warren Senator Karen because he got in a fight with her about taxes or something like that. Okay, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. All right. So, look, we want to talk also, though, about speaking of impersonating people and and verification. Um, You have experience in being impersonated. Right. We mentioned your essay, The Story of My Imposters, which appears in The Atlantic. And I wondered if you could talk to us about that experience and, and, and read to us.
2: Okay. Um so this is a, this is a an essay that I wrote about um my personal website which I lost control of at a certain point uh and uh has now been uh turned into a competing site um which is called the um the official site of the author Dan Sean. uh and it seems like m- most people um are finding that way before they actually find the website that I own. So I'm going to read from the Atlantic piece here. The website is astonishingly elaborate. Click on it and you'll see a picture of me at my glossiest, taken from a, by a professional photographer at a festival in Paris, a photo that I don't own the rights to, but the owners of Danshawn.com have cavalierly stolen. The publications page is accurate, and the press page encases choice review quotes in tablets as if they're wise sayings. The blog is a replica of the scrapbook I'd put together for the original s- website. The contacts are slightly out of date. I have a new publicist and speaking agent. The biography is not untrue, but it's written in an odd style. There is a tang of Google Translate, a sense that AI might have been involved. The future master of the word was born on June 11, 1964 in Sydney, Nebraska. It says. Elsewhere, it continues, Dan's passion for literature started in elementary school when he spent most of his time reading books. Just a bit later, being only a junior high school student, he started trying his hand at writing by sending his short stories to magazines. Unfortunately, all of them were rejected. It's eerie having my life interpreted by an alien being, especially one whose concept of American letters and fame sounds so heartbreakingly optimistic. The most famous Dan Sean's books were "Among the Missing," two thousand one, and "You Remind Me of Me," two thousand three. The former was a finalist in the National Book of the Year competition. The latter was called one of the best books of the year by many <laughs> famous pubis- publishers. It's <laughs> it's just so weird sounding. I mean, it, it and it's. I mean, it, just this sort of wide-eyed sense of what, like our literary lives are like (laughs) it's so optimistic in a way um this is the part where sugi
1: but also completely completely (laughs) clueless sugi has to confess something that we were discussing at the beginning of the show sugi
0: (laughs) i I, so i swear that there's a good explanation for this and, and it's quite likely that dan has already figured this out and is just too nice to mock me about it but i will confess. So I I read this essay online when my friend Eden Lepucky shared it and I, I knew which URL was the real and which was the fake, but I am a person who on the regular has about 300 tabs open at the same time. Just whatever Google Chrome will take, I will stretch it to that limit. And Somehow when I was emailing to book Dan for the show, I emailed the addresses on the fake site because the tabs were open next to each other. <laughs> um, and the addresses on the fake site are fortunately real addresses. And I got Dan's very nice former publicist who did not make fun of me at all or even comment on what I had very obviously done. And I realized what had happened when I scrolled down on what I had thought was the tab for the real site and saw some of the references you just read us all over again where, that refer to, you know, the master of the word, Dan Sean.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's really dogs are. It's allowed. really <laughs> sad in subways. There's the dog. Oh, there's the dog. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, that poor publicist gets many, many more hits than my actual publicist at Holt does. So it's um, it's not just you. <laughs> I read the
0: essay. It's, <laughs> it's, and I still
2: get It's basically everybody is is is. That's the only way that I, I get. Uh, get contacts is, is like second or third hand somebody passes it on forwards it to it's my amazing agent.
0: that you're with us um i'm so sorry <laughs>
2: um well i mean the thing is it's 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 not it's a really beautiful website despite the way that it's written it's really elaborate and that i think is the, is one of the strange things i just can't figure it's out so why strange. they did are it. they
1: trying to make money i mean what, what exactly their, is what the their
2: point? thing was
1: is there, is there a money angle um, in it for the people who are operating it?
2: Well, I mean, I thought there was. There's, there's an advertisement for essay writing services on on the website. But I have contacted the essay services place and a number of other people have contacted and they never get a response. So it's, I, I mean, I feel like somebody set it up to sort of show off their web design skills and then possibly has ab- have abandoned it. I mean there's no response when it, when you contact them or or when you contact um me at danshawn.com dan at dan da, danshawn.com there's just yeah, no it's... response. And you'd think that if they were if they were scamming people they'd be like hey friend <laughs> um no, but they don't.
0: Yeah. As someone so, who just wrote the address <laughs> I can tell you that you get a bounce error. <laughs> um, so I mean in your essay, you, you write about trying and failing to make contact with the, with the folks who, who bought Danshawn.com. And I can't tell you how. I feel so weirdly fortunate that the people who own Sugi.com don't, don't try to do this. Um, but the, the characters in your novel Sleepwalk, on the other hand, do make contact with others um, who have really complex motivations for maybe obscuring their identities, who have multiple identities. There's name swapping and, and identity confusion kind of all over the place. And, and your hero or, or kind of anti-hero, who we'll call um, by one of his aliases Will Bear, uh, has a job as a kind of bounty hunter or human trafficker. And, and he does his best to stay off the grid. And then I love this part. He's got like multiple burner phones And they all start ringing and he ends up in a conversation with someone who wants to question him about his identity. So we actually get to see this conversation kind of play out. And I wonder if you would read a little bit of that section for
2: us. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Um, All right. I'm sorry that this is so creepy and stalkery, she says. I wish I'd figured out a better way to make contact. Well, it's a pretty impressive work on your part, I say tracking me down couldn't have been easy. Yeah, she says. Her voice is modest, circumspect, almost regretful. And I I know you're wondering how I found you. Obviously, you're a very private person, and I'm sure it's kind of alarming to be, uh, breached. I'll admit, I say, it has caused me some concern. Well, sure, yes, of course, she says. And... Most of all, I'm impressed by the balance she strikes between awkwardness and poise. It's disarming tactic. I mean, she says, you've got to be worried that I'm working for someone or that I'm going to try to blackmail you or scam you or rip you off. I get it, you know? Unfortunately, trust is an issue, I say. My dog is sitting by the door of the camper waiting and I go over to let him out and then I sit down on the stoop and light a jay. the phone pressed tight against my ear. The dog paces thoughtfully, deeply immersed in the question of where best to sprinkle his pee. I have to tell you, I say, the idea that you've been hired by somebody or that you're running some kind of scam, honestly, that seems a lot more likely than the idea that you're my daughter and you just happen to have hacker skills like somebody who works for an intelligence agency. I'm trying to keep this conversation light and bantering. I don't want to sound paranoid or panicked. I look out across the parking lot and imagine that there's a sniper there, a mercenary assassin in a camouflage jumpsuit crouched atop the trailer of a semi. I can almost feel the red light of laser crosshairs crawling across my forehead. Well then, says Cammy, I guess my first job is to convince you that I'm for real, right? There's that bright, deadly earnestness in her voice that makes me suddenly think that, actually, she she might be unhinged. The hairs on the back of my neck prickle. Sure, I say. I parse my words carefully, letter by letter, like I'm filling out a crossword. I realize I should be trying to draw her out. I should be trying to get her to drop some bits of information so I can figure out who she is, where she's calling from, what her objectives might be how she might be vulnerable. I, well, I think it might help if I had a clearer idea of how you went about finding me, I say shyly. If I knew your process, it might ease my mind.
1: Thank you very much. Um, Yeah. It's hard not to imagine, well, I did imagine, uh, you know, uh, the connection between the essay that you read from earlier and this idea of impersonation and people trying to figure out each other's identities um, in the novel, and in that scene, I mean, that scene is, in some ways, every author has had somebody maybe call them out of the blue and ask, <laughs> and right. suddenly start asking for things that you're not sure you want to give them. Um, what are the questions you ask yourself when you're trying to decide if someone is for real?
2: Well, I mean, God, that's a, such a good question. Um, I think, you know... The, you can get verification if if they're, um, you know, if they're well known enough that they that that they have you know like f- photos on the web. I guess right. You look at the author photo, and then I mean you you look at the you know the, the person themselves. Um, I mean if you're if you're meeting them in person, but you know I mean a few years ago wasn't somebody in, like impersonating Charles Baxter and doing readings? Oh my god! What? Um, I I think that's true. Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. I was muted there for a second and just my, I, what? I have no idea.
2: I'm immediately going to look this up and. Yeah. They, I think they were doing readings as Charles Baxter. Um, and I, I mean, I think there's, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, how, how are you going to tell if, I mean, if, I mean, it, I mean, unless you absolutely know what he looks like, I mean, I some you I could show up on your campus and say that I'm Charles Baxter or, or um, you know, George Saunders or something. I should, I should
0: say my campus is probably the last one where you could do that because he was my colleague until he retired, but which is probably the reason that, <laughs> but it would be amazing. It would be amazing if someone showed up at the University of Minnesota and tried to do that. Um, and I'm also trying to imagine Charlie's reaction. I can't believe that this has never come up in my conversations with him, um, but I'm
2: I I I I hope I'm not I'm not speaking out of turn. I think that's I think that's no. That I mean, we'll, yes, we'll go find. Um, I
0: mean, if we can, is if we can find some writing or something about it, we'll put it in the show notes. Um.
1: Hey, this is Whitney breaking in here to say that we did find something on this. There's an article, uh, an interview with with Charles Baxter in a 2008 um, edition of Trib Live, which is a Pennsylvania newspaper, um, and it's about his novel, um, The Soul Thief. Uh, And he tells a story about being impersonated by someone 27 years prior to 2008, so you can do the math there, uh, before he was really a well-known writer and then he found out that a stranger, uh, a person that he knew actually was going around claiming to be him. So we think that is where that story came from. We wanted to just follow up on that here on our episode about verification and, and misinformation. We'll put that article in the show notes. Oh, and by the way, The Soul Thief, the novel, Charles Baxter's novel, is about someone who does this kind of impersonation. So there's the connection.
0: Um, but I, I mean, I'm just imagining Charlie coming face to face with himself, like on the, you know, on the green in front of the library.
2: <laughs> well, and I mean, and you know, there, a, lot of his, a lot of his books are yeah. also about impersonation um, and about, uh, you know, the question of what makes me me um and I mean is it your you know your accomplishments is it your 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 actual body is that what makes you you um is it um some sort of intangible personality that you have um i mean i think and I think that's where that's where this whole thing of the of the online self or the online avatar starts to get murky um because that whatever you are online is a curated and created thing um and it seems like it, it could easily be bought and sold and traded, right? I mean, you could still be, you could still have this online personality um, and it not necessarily being you behind it. I mean, I mean I'm sure that that's probably the case with, with, I mean, do you think everybody runs their own Twitter feed? Probably not.
0: No, probably not. And yet, I mean, all three of us are, are still on Twitter, Um, and I also have found Twitter to be in a weird way. I mean, it's simultaneously so public and so intimate in that I have stumbled across creative thoughts that have been helpful to me in my work by trying to work things out on Twitter, by being in conversation with people who I've attached a persona to, even if they don't have a name. Like there's, there's someone on, yeah, there's someone on Twitter who has a handle that I know and follow. I don't know their real name. I know where they live. Like, I know that they appreciate my work. I know that I appreciate their political opinions. And this person is going to vanish from my sphere. Like, I right. can see these conversations disappearing. Right. Like, I went online to look at DMs to a writer who I know. They're all gone because he's left. Um, right. And, I don't know. Yeah, this is... I feel like we're also, like, a little bit... In, in your novel, there are also characters who have multiple um, aliases or characters who are multiple versions of one person and I wonder mm-hmm. if you could talk a little bit about um, the multiple versions of will bear and the other characters and just and what relationship if any that has to multiple versions of you
2: Well I mean I think what makes will bear, particularly useful to his employers is that he is he doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a, a solid identity. He doesn't have a social security number or a credit card or anything that that um, attaches him to the wider sort of public sphere. Um, and so he's able to switch between all of these different personas. Um, and I think that, you know, there in the novel there there's a lot of there's a lot of question about how do we identify people in public places and you know there there are tons of CCTV cameras all over the place in this novel that are constantly doing facial recognition on people um people are wearing like you know various sort of doodads on their face to kind of prevent that um you can buy uh stuff that that you that, that you can wear that, that scrambles SCTV cameras by the way um, if you'd like but this idea that you know there there's this there's 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 a, a force out there that's monitoring you um, and that's that's keeping an eye on where you are you know like um, would you like Facebook to to follow your location would you like Google to, to follow your location they're asking you all the time and they're you know um, so you know I think trying to be multiple people might be a way to get out of that kind of monitoring in some ways, I mean, I mean, and I, I, I've, I've certainly done it in, in on various forums. I've, I've gone on uh, under a pseudonym. I have three different Twitter accounts that I use, um, in not including the the official one that no, I we have. Don't tell Elon; um,
1: he'll get very upset. I'm not going to
2: tell I'm, I'm, I'm tell. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell you what they are. But um, <laughs> I would never do
1: anything. Well, like I thought this. that was that was the. The interesting that was one of the things that I thought about with the novel is that really what you're kind you're positing is sort of the opposite of what's happening with Twitter. People think, oh, verification is important. We want to make sure it's the real person. And you're suggesting that possibility, which I feel is absolutely true, that maybe uh, an asset in the future will be to be not verified, to be unverifiable.
2: Right. Right. And
0: and I think like one of the main reasons that I have a blue check mark is that for so long I've operated in a like I write mostly about um, Sri Lankan politics. And one way for me to, like, it was one way for me to set myself apart was to put my name on everything that I wrote, because a lot of people were writing anonymously. And now if this, the shape of this is going to change, then yeah, I can see like what you're describing as a, as an alter to return to anonymity. Can I go backwards? Um, because I, I made a decision right. like many years ago that very specifically I was going to do do things under my own name on purpose to sort of underline that I really meant them and um, it's been valuable but maybe maybe that value is disappearing.
2: But but you know I mean there's enough there's enough of you online that if if I was really determined to I could create um, I could do deep fake videos using your face. I could I could create accounts that were that that you know used your name and your and I have plenty of background information on you. Um, enough, I mean, maybe I don't know what your first grade teacher's name was, but um, I have I have enough biographical information that I could do a pretty good job of faking.
0: It's you. taking everything in me not to hit the the hide video button right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to like point out just for our, we have a lot of Minneapolis based listeners and there is a little, um, description in your book that is actually like right adjacent to my neighborhood. And that immediately prompted me and one of the people I was telling it about telling the story to, to, um, think that you must've gone on like Google maps or Google street view, or maybe you had been in our neighborhood. And it's this little description of, um, Will Bear, uh, thinking about where this baby um, that he is briefly, he's, he has right. babies.
2: The, the, the I fountain. live near yeah.
0: the Lindale Park Rose Garden.
1: And oh, nice. there's
0: this description of, you know, where Will Bear imagines the baby will go. Maybe the baby will be adopted by um, gay men in Kingfield who are imagining making a family. And I, I was telling this to someone who lives in my neighborhood and we were immediately like, was Dan here? Did he look at it on Google Street View? Like, And then we were like, do we feel surveilled or do we feel seen? Um, were you here? <laughs>
2: How did that description? Um, I, I mean, I, I it's sort of a, 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 a combination. I mean, the, the novel encompasses all 50 states. Um, that was, that was, that's one of the Easter eggs. And so a lot of them are places I've visited, including Minneapolis, where my son used to live. Um, and some are drawn from Google maps. I got some very good, I got some very surprising images off of Google maps, uh, just by, like running my uh, cursor through the interstates. Wow. Um so yeah, I mean, it turned out to be That's a great, great
1: resource. Man. Um yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. I, we have one last question oh, yeah, my because pleasure. we're running out of time. Are you going to stay on Twitter? Uh
2: yeah, well, until the bitter end. I mean, it's sort of like um, I've really been enjoying this sort of sense of like the elder gods have been Unleashed, and all the cities are turning to ashes, and this really apocalyptic feel is kind of fun. I mean, <laughs> how, how often do you get to? <laughs> Can
1: you please convince Suvi of that. I'm that telling real her, time? her there's sometimes this is
0: fun. She doesn't like it at all. <laughs> well, hopefully next week we will still the, the house will still be burning slowly, um,
2: and we'll see you on. I I mean I I have no idea. I can't I can't guess. Yeah.
0: guess we'll find out and we'll see you there and uh thanks to thanks to you for joining us and and listeners don't miss sleepwalk um which is an amazing fun novel about these apocalyptic ideas and it is out now
1: thank you that's it for the fiction Nonfiction podcast this podcast is produced by ann knigendorf our theme music is composed by travis workman you can subscribe to us by typing fiction slash non-slash fiction into the search bar of your favorite podcast app Please go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done it yet. You can also listen, find previous episodes, and read excerpts from our interviews at the Literary Hub website, lithub.com, where the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast page is listed under the Lit Hub Radio tab. We'll also post that show page with links to the books we referenced this week on Facebook at FNF Pod, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast can find video of our interviews at our own Fiction Nonfiction Podcast YouTube channel and IGTV channel and on our website at fnfpodcast.net, where our back episodes are grouped by topic areas. Happy reading!